0: Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6, and I'd like to read again from verse 5 through to verse 8. Genesis 6 from verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Which will be our text this morning, Genesis 6 verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and that word but, at the beginning of that verse tells us that it's following on from what's come immediately before and is connected to it and we'll need to spend some time thinking about verses 5, 6 and 7 before we can think at the end about verse 8. Noah, Noah's art. Many years ago I used to be in the civil service and had a job in central London and I would often get there very early in the morning on a, a Monday and the manager that I worked for would arrive sometime later and he would usually have to walk right past my desk to get to his desk and he would often drop in and come and have a chat with me about the weekend and say you know how was your weekend what's been happening I guess that's not an unusual thing for many of you when you go to work but this chap Peter his name was he knew that he had to be careful about one thing uh, that he didn't need to inquire too carefully of me about what I'd been doing on the Sunday because he knew I was a Christian and he didn't like that very much at all. In fact, he was quite anti the whole notion. So if ever he uh, made a mistake in inquiring too carefully about Sunday, he knew that I would tell him what I'd been doing on Sunday and that I would take great uh, pleasure in being able to talk to him about the Bible. And he, he was very careful to try and avoid that. Maybe you know people like that and maybe you've had that sort of Monday morning talk. I was imagining a Monday morning talk with this man or somebody like him in the light of what I'm going to be talking to you about this morning, Noah's Ark, can you imagine the conversation with somebody today who's a complete rank unbeliever, who knows a little bit about the Bible, who's pretty well opposed to the gospel, or to somebody who's a bit indifferent about these things, doesn't really care, and, and they, they say to you, well, what did you do on Sunday? Oh, went to church. Oh, yes, I what did the the minister talk about, what was the sermon about? And you say to them, well, it was about Noah's Ark. I mean, These days, can you imagine how many people might react to that? Noah's Ark? I saw one of those in a toy shop recently. You can't be serious that that's what you've spent your Sunday morning listening to a, a talk about Noah and the Ark. Yes, actually, I don't know about you, but when you hear Genesis 6 being read... There's something dramatic and significant. It's one of the most dramatic chapters in in the the Old Testament, I think, when you read about what happened and you read seriously what it says. Don't let the the story of Noah and the ark become trivialized in your mind because the world trivializes it as one of the, the few Bible stories that's still known and that children still have toys of Noah's ark. It can seem a strange story to us when we read about Noah and the ark. It feels like a bygone and different age and you wonder whether it's got anything at all to say to us today. I don't know whether you've realised this, but Noah's age was further removed from the age of Jesus than Jesus' age is from us. The time when Noah lived... Was further removed from the time when Jesus lived than the time Jesus lived is from us. So even in the days of Jesus, it was ancient history. And I suppose there could have been people then who might have thought, well, that seems like a strange world in Genesis chapter 6, these giants that it talks about, these men of renown. And maybe there were people in those days who might have thought, well, what's it got to say to us today? Well, Jesus settled the argument about the relevance of Noah. He says in Matthew chapter 24, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Genesis 6 talks about marriage taking place until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. That's what happened then. But in Matthew 24 and verse 39, Jesus says, So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus looks back to Noah and he says, There are things that happened in the days of Noah, a long, long time ago even when Jesus was speaking, that speak not just to the days when Jesus was living, but they speak to all the ages of the world since including our age, until such time as Jesus comes again. In other words, for as long as this world remains, the message of Noah and the ark has got something significant to say. Yes, it does seem a different age. Maybe somebody's thinking, so different, how can it be relevant to us today? Well, let's look at these verses in Genesis uh, 6, 5 to 8, and see that it really is relevant to us today. You know, I suppose one of the reasons why we might question the the significance of Noah and the ark to us today is we tend to think of it from our point of view. We look at the story from the world's point of view, and as I said, it seems such a different age. But the Bible gives us divine eyes, as it were. We can sit in heavenly places. We can read this about what happened then and understand the Lord God Almighty's point of view. And that's what we're going to do with the help of Scripture this morning. We'll look at each of those four verses, five, six, seven, and 8, in turn. Because remember our text, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, begins with the word but. It's contrasting something with what's gone before. And so we need to look at what's gone before. So here we go, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So here's the first point, that God sees. God sees everything. He always sees everything. And immediately, here's the the relevance of this bygone age to us today. The world may have changed in so many ways, but the Lord God doesn't change. The same God, the same Lord that we read about here in Genesis 6, Is the same Lord who sees today. And just as the Lord saw then, so he sees now. Well, what does he see? I wonder, has it it got your attention, the thought that the Lord sees? Almighty God sees. He sees you, all of you. Not as I can see you and you can see me. He sees right into our very innermost being. Verse 5 tells us what the Lord sees. He sees people. He sees a world of people. We're told in the beginning of this chapter, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So here are these people. People wonder who are these sons of God. Are they angelic beings perhaps? I don't know for sure. But let's just take it as it says. There are the sons of God who see the daughters of men. You go on down, it talks in verse 4 about giants on the earth in those days. It talks about children being born in verse 4. It talks about mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So here are these uh, these men of renown, these mighty men. Here are these uh, sons of God. Here are these daughters of men who are beautiful. And the Lord isn't dazzled or taken in or intimidated by any of that. You know, we see strong and powerful people and we can be intimidated by that. You see the the rich and the famous and the beautiful people of this world and the successful. And it's easy for us to become sort of dazzled by who they are and what they do. But the Lord isn't taken in by the outward appearances. What the Lord sees is the heart. And he sees something terrible. He sees that there's been a great change in men and women. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. You know, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, we read of the Lord seeing. It says at the end of Genesis chapter 1 that God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And now you get to Genesis chapter 6, just a few chapters later, and the Lord sees something different. He sees that the wickedness of man was very great. What's happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 6? Well, the answer, of course, is Genesis 3 and the fall of human beings into sin. And it's interesting if you read Genesis 3 because there in verse 6 of Genesis 3 we read, so when the woman saw... That the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. The very tree that the Lord had said they must not take from, but the woman sees it and her husband is with her and they take from this tree and they eat of it, disobeying God and they fall into sin. God saw that all was good. The woman sees the tree. With her husband they take of this and eat of it, breaking God's command. The result, now the Lord looks at human beings and he sees that the wickedness of their hearts is very great. We're fallen people into sin. Sin has affected everybody. It doesn't just say in Genesis 6 that the Lord saw that there were some sinful people on the earth, some people who were wicked. It talks about the wickedness of man being great in the earth, human beings, mankind, the race. It's like if you poison a water source, everybody who drinks from it will be poisoned. When I was a student many years ago in in Devon, there was a story that made the local news and it might have even made the national news, I'm not sure, about a a delivery driver who got something horribly wrong when he took some chemicals to a water treatment works in a, a little town called Camelford. And he tipped these chemicals into the wrong side of the water treatment works. The chemicals were meant to go into the side where the water was waiting to be treated. He tipped the chemicals into the side where the water had been treated and was then pumped into the public supply. And the result was that these chemicals got into what people were drinking. And everybody who drank of the water was poisoned by it to a greater or lesser extent. For some people it was fairly trivial... Some people's hair turned green, but that was all. For other people, they suffered life-changing illnesses and were affected far more significantly by it. But the point was everybody who came and took from that source was poisoned by it. And there's something like that with what happened with Adam and with Eve. We're all descended from Adam and Eve, all of us. And the, the source of the human race has been poisoned. And all of us are born in sin. All of us are sinful people. In some cases it's more obvious than others, but let's not deceive ourselves, we are all sinful people. And what does the Lord, God Almighty, see? That the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and then it describes what that is, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Everybody is sinful, and sin has affected every part of what it is to be a human being. Our hearts, the things that we love, Our minds, the things that we think about, our deeds, the things that we do, our wills, the things that we choose, all of it tainted and polluted by sin. It doesn't mean in Genesis 6-5 that we're as bad as we might be. God restrains and curbs sin, but nevertheless, every part of us is sinful. Everything about us is affected. And it says in this verse that sin is a matter of the heart, every intent of the thoughts of the heart. We too easily reduce sin to the things that we say or do. But what we say or do comes from somewhere. It comes from within. And our source, if you like, our heart, our inner being is polluted by sin. The Bible teaches us that we should keep our hearts with all diligence for out of the heart spring the issues of life. It's from our hearts that our life, our being, our personality, our choices, our decisions, our words, our deeds, it's from within that those things come out. And if the heart is polluted, if it's sinful, if it's fallen, then we will be sinners in how we behave. We've just been doing some decorating in our house and I don't know about you, I actually quite like painting walls. Um... Try as I might, I never seem to succeed in keeping the paint off my hands. And sometimes you don't know it's there until it's too late. Imagine if you've got some paint on your hands and you try and go and fold the clean washing. You know, those lovely white sheets that have been out drying in the sun and you go out and you fold the sheets but they're covered in paint off your hands that you didn't know was there. But it's a bit like that with us, with what we do. Everything we do, we might say what we want to say, we might do what we want to do, but it's tainted, it's covered in paint as it were. It's sinful. But the real root of sin is not just about words and deeds, it's about our attitude to God. Remember Genesis 3 was about disobeying God. That's the real heart of the problem, that we disobey God. We don't want god we don't believe god we don't believe in god we want to deny god we want to make gods in our own image we reject the true god and it says in verse 5 that the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually it's not like on off it's not like sometimes sinful sometimes not it's everything always polluted by sin and god sees all this my friends god sees it all We're very good at being deniers, we're very good at pretending it's not so important, we're very good at dressing things up as though it doesn't matter too much, but God sees it all and God is holy and God will not tolerate, will not accept it, will not turn a blind eye to our sin. When I read those words in Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, I find that shocking to think about. And I hope something of that might come to you, that the Lord sees in your very heart things that you wouldn't want anyone else to know, and he knows it all. So what, somebody might say, well let's come to verse 6. Verse 5, the Lord saw. Verse 6, and the Lord was sorry. God sees, and then verse 6, God's sorrow. If verse 5 grabs our attention, well, verse 6 should startle us to read these words. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Have you ever thought about that? That the Lord sees us, you, me. He sees us for what we are in our very innermost beings. And it tells us here that the Lord is sorry. He is grieved. Our hearts fallen in wickedness. The Lord, his heart, grieved. In fact, the old King James Version, we've got the new King James Version here, the old King James Version, it says that the Lord was um, repenting, repented in his heart. Not just sorry, it uses a strong word. Not to give the idea that somehow God wished he hadn't made man. Wished he hadn't done it because of man's fall. As though some sort of mistake had been made. But the language of Genesis 6 and verse 6 is to tell us that the Lord God Almighty, the Holy Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the maker of every human being, the one who gives to us, each of us, life and breath and all that we are every moment, He takes our sin so very, very seriously, and we are guilty before him. It's not that he's changed his mind about man. He was pleased in Genesis 1, and now he wished he hadn't made man in Genesis 6 because of sin. It's saying that because of sin, the Lord views us in a new way, in a different way from Genesis 1. And he's grieved in his heart, deeply grieved, This is my handiwork, this is my creation, this is the crown of my creation, human beings. And look at them, listen to them, hear their hearts. That which in Genesis 1 was his joy and his delight, Genesis 6 he's grieved in his heart. It would be hard for us to imagine these words. It's it's something that only God can tell us, that this is how he feels. Only God can tell us this. This is how we know, amongst many other ways, that this is the word of God. I said to you at the beginning, we get a divine perspective on things. The Lord is telling us how he sees things. And we need to take this so very, very much to heart. Look at these people who I have made. Look at their life, they're full of themselves, these men of renown, these women of beauty, dazzling each other and using their power to get what they want. But look how they've turned their backs upon me, look how they reject me and don't want me. You know, it's a great grief, isn't it, to a parent if a child is very rebellious. Children, don't be rebellious to your parents and don't be a cause of great grief to your parents. But all of us are rebellious to our God who made us. We see that reaction, that sorrow in Jesus. Do you remember at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who had died when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus is groaning in his spirit as he sees the consequences of sin and that most moving of verses, those two words in John eleven thirty five, that <coughs> Jesus is at the tomb, Jesus wept when he sees the consequences of sin in this world. But we also see in the Lord Jesus that holy reaction against sin at other times. When he comes in Luke 10 to speak of cities like Chorazin and Bethsaida, unrepentant sinful cities, and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for your unrepentant sin comes near Jerusalem in those last days of his life and he weeps over it, knowing its sinful past and knowing what it's going to do. We see our Lord, Jesus, reacting just like this. Let nobody say that Genesis 6 is not relevant. God is the same today as he was then. The Lord sees. The Lord sorrows. Verse 7 The Lord speaks. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. It's so powerful, isn't it, when you've built up from Genesis 1. The Lord saw all that he had made and it was very good through the fall of the woman and the man with her, seeing and taking this fruit and falling into sin to Genesis 6. The Lord seeing the the evil of our hearts, our fallen hearts. And you can't argue with the justice of what God says. Our mouths are just silenced. God's word is so powerful, isn't it? It grabs our attention, it startles us, and I hope it makes us tremble. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. A sentence of universal punishment. The renowned for all their might and their power. So what? They're sinful in the eyes of the Lord. The beautiful. The powerful. The successful. And the ordinary people. Who wouldn't claim to be any of those things. The nobodies. The little people. But all of us share this, sinners before God, and he pronounces this sentence of universal punishment, a sentence of a universal and absolute punishment. There's going to be a flood. And just like when you're doing the washing up after a meal, and there's a dirty dish, and you carefully clean every speck of dirt from it, so the Lord says, I am going to do away with all that is unclean in this world. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, both creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And you feel the clouds gathering, don't you, and the storm clouds of judgment coming, and who thinks that Noah's ark and the story of the flood is just a children's toy or a cartoon? Perish that thought Dismiss that thought because Jesus said, Remember, as in the days of Noah, so in these days now that we're living, until the time when the Son of Man comes. And what happened in the days of Noah is a foretaste of that final judgment which is still to come because Jesus has not yet returned. And now, breathe the big sigh of relief. And now, allow verse 8. To minister God's grace and mercy and compassion, God's love, God's favour, God's smiling face to you. That word but looks back to verses 5, 6 and 7. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here is the, the frowning providence of the coming flood of judgment. But there's a smiling face the grace of God. All deserve to die, but not all will die in that flood. What a surprise. Do you feel any sense of relief after verses 5 and 6 and 7 to get to verse 8? After the, the startling, attention-grabbing, shocking words of God's seeing and God's speaking, words of judgment of God's sorrow over the sin of which we are all guilty, does it make you feel a sense of relief and lightness and hope and joy to read that God was gracious to Noah and as a result of that, not all who deserve to die will die in the judgment. God tells us clearly how things are so that we will appreciate the gospel, so that we'll understand our need of Jesus, the Saviour. And it comes as a surprise to us, doesn't it? Verse 8. Yes, God sees, God sorrows, God speaks. But last of all, God surprises us with his amazing grace. All deserve to die, but not all will die. Here's something that comes so unexpectedly. Noah's not a perfect man. Noah's a sinner. And so is his wife and his sons and their wives. But by the grace of God... They are not going to die in the judgment which is about to come. What a surprise that comes to us. And the gospel brings that surprising good news that there is hope, there is salvation. Something unexpected. Why should God spare even one person? No good reason in any person here. Nobody can claim to deserve to be saved from the judgment which is to come. Not Noah, not anyone can claim to deserve that it's a surprise that anyone should it's a surprise that not all are going to die in the judgment what arrogant folly to assume that somehow i deserve to go to be in heaven with god forever and ever a surprise because it's so undeserved here's noah a son of adam who finds grace and there's the explanation in the eyes of the lord god is merciful God is gracious, God is kind to those who don't deserve it God has chosen to show mercy God has chosen to do something about sin that deserves judgment God has chosen to provide a way of salvation and what a surprise it must have been to hear these words that came later on in Genesis 6 Noah build a great big boat well I don't suppose Noah knew what he was to do because God had to give him instructions carefully about what he was to build and what he was to do. There's an enormous flood coming Noah, and you need to build this ark if you're going to be safe. You need to go into that ark, and you need to do exactly what God has said if you are going to survive this flood of judgment which is coming. And it's such a surprise, isn't it? Whoever would have thought of a huge flood coming like that, and whoever would have thought... Build this massive ark and go in it and you'll survive the flood. God revealed the way of salvation. It says that Noah then found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on to say, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Hear the order of those words, Noah found grace. Therefore, Noah was a just man and Noah walked with the Lord. It doesn't say Noah was a just man, A righteous man who walked with the Lord. So Noah was saved by God. It's the other way around. God saves sinners. And the gospel promises salvation to sinners. My friends, we're all sinners. And God promises that there is a way of salvation open to any of us. If only we will follow it. It's not about being a man of renown or a woman of beauty or whatever it might be that the world adores and loves and that the world admires. It's about accepting God's verdict on us. Yes, we're sinners in in desert of judgment. And the judgment is coming. And there's a way of salvation. And it's a surprising way of salvation. It's an even bigger surprise than Noah should have to build this massive boat to shelter from the deluge which is coming. God has sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to be our ark of salvation. You know, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus to be your saviour from sin is what God wants us all to do. That's what he's saying to us. That's the message from this morning. There is a gracious gift of salvation But you need to listen to God's way. You need to follow God's instructions. You need to take God's path to salvation. You need to be saved. The judgment is coming. All of us will face that unless we're saved. In the ark of salvation, not a big boat like Noah had to build. But in Jesus Christ, whom God has sent, his own son. That deluge of judgment that came upon that ancient world, swept away everybody except those who followed God's way, who went into the ark, Noah and his family. Well, there's a deluge of judgment coming at the end of this earth, at the end of this age, when all things are going to be made new and clean, righteous and holy. No sinful people will be in this new world which is coming. we have all been swept away into the place of judgment that the Bible calls hell. That's where we would all go if it was left to us. That's what we all deserve. But the surprising, surprising, awe-inspiring, wonderful, joyous message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that he is our ark. And when you read of him in the gospels coming into this earth and going to that cross and suffering there on the cross, dying, that deluge of judgment that, We deserve. Fell upon him. And he took it all. And he conquered it. He overcame it. He rose from the dead the third day. And so by believing in Jesus, we are sheltered, just like Noah and his family were, sheltered from the the storm of judgment which is to come. Because Jesus has dealt with it all for us. And just like him, We rise to live another day, forever and forever. Now there's a Monday morning conversation to have with somebody. What did you talk about in church on Sunday morning? Noah's Ark. Saw one of those in a toy shop. There's a children's cartoon series. Yes, but there's a story in the Bible that speaks so very, very clearly to the world that we live in and it warns us of what's coming of not just a a foreshadowing of judgment but the actual judgment to end this world and bring in the new and it tells us of the true saviour of all who will believe and follow God's way of Jesus Christ the ark of salvation are you in it now are you believing in Jesus is he your saviour are you sheltered from the storm which is coming? Are you amazed at his grace? Are you rejoicing in what he's done? Oh, I really hope so. And you know if there's anybody here who can't yet say yes to those questions? Well, the day of grace is still here now. The door is open. A day came in... The days of Genesis and Noah, when God said to Noah, go into the ark, and the Lord shut the door. And that was that. Nobody else would go in. You must not wait any longer. If you're not already in the ark, as it were, if you're not already believing in Jesus, don't wait because you don't know when the door will shut and there will be no time or opportunity for you to go in. Now is the day of salvation. Take seriously God's word, how he sees things and what he's done to provide a way of salvation for us all.